Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is the wrestling is the wrestling is the Here are your hosts. Here are your hosts. Emerson Whitner. Emerson. Oh yeah. Yes. 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 Brian Whitmer. How, how much does that guy weigh? No! 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 It's guest host. Palooza! It is the Wrestling Outsiders Podcast. This is Emerson Whitner, your one and only host, joined tonight, as always, by my brother, the only person who, instead of being on the show, I'm going to play a, a drop of him cursing like a madman, the co-host with the mo-hostess, my brother, Brian Whitner. Whitner. My brother, Brian Whitner. Brian, how are you doing this evening? I, I'm doing quite well, and you know what? I want I to interfere. I quit. I quit. I quit. <laughs> what the fuck? Stop cursing. I lost the one 30 seconds in. Sorry, Adrian Marks Radio. I apologize. Yes. Uh, uh. I'm speaking my mind now so I hear a woman say, I quit. I quit. I quit. <laughs> As we joked about last week, I said if Brian was ever unable to make the show, I would just take a whole bunch of audio clips of him saying random stuff along with our famous audio clip of Brian cursing. And just in, play that throughout the show. Well, Brian's not going to be able to join us tonight. He may be on a little bit later. He might drop in to say, hey, hey, hey. But Brian uh, has some other stuff going on and won't be able to make the full show tonight. However, I am basically Monday Night Raw. I am the longest-running weekly episodic podcast about nothing. Uh, at least the longest-running weekly episodic podcast that gets uh, taped out of my bedroom. Um, and so with that, we have guest host tonight. We're going to have uh, Damian Gonzalez, 
We're going to have Patrick Michael. They're both going to call in here in about five or six minutes. And we're going to be discussing NWA Wrestle War 89 with the final of the Flair Steamboat Trilogy. Uh, and hopefully they don't talk about how we're going to be at the Summerfest or anything like that. A um, few programming notes before we get too far into this. We are planning on doing a Money in the Bank post show, uh, depending on how well the network holds up, because for some reason the live stream really, really hates me and only lets me watch things on demand. But, you know, hopefully Nakamura will be able to do a post show Sunday. Next Wednesday, we're going to be joined by Art O'Donnell of WrestleCrap. When, yes, we're going to review King of the Ring 1994, complete with Art Donovan, the man of a thousand questions, and they were all, how much does this guy weigh? That's going to be a fun time. Um, and that's what we're looking for in the future. I should let everyone know that the battle between myself and and Mr. Vince Russo has come to a finish. Mr. Russo has blocked me on Twitter. He uh, didn't care for that video of me uh, yelling at him from a few weeks ago. And he also didn't like being openly challenged on Twitter. This is a man who is complained over and over again on a whole bunch of different wrestling interviews that people never call him and ask him for his opinion. Well, Vince, I asked you on several occasions for your opinion. I gave you an open invitation to call in. I gave you our phone number to call in. You didn't want to do it. Instead, you blocked me. So, Vince, please, the next time you go on and on about how no one asked for your opinion... I will be here to call your BS. <sighs> well, with that out of the way, we're going to have some fun tonight. And, you know, I talked about how we're going to have a special guest host, or two of them, actually. But before we do that, we've got to pay some bills. Kind of. Not really. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. When you have a sore throat, a cough, or a stuffy nose, come to the halls of medicine. To feel better fast, use Halls. For fast relief of acid indigestion, use 1,000 milligram strong extra strength Rolaids, the only antacid in an assortment of mint flavors. Yipe Stripes, Fruit Stripe Gum, four fruity juicy flavors. Share, dare, chew it, blow it. It's Yipe Stripes, Fruit Stripes Regular, and Bubble Gum. Yep, yep, yep. Gotta play one more. When all you guys go back to LA, your home turf. And if you lose, we will ban you from the Summerfest. He'll be banned from SummerSlam is what you're saying. SummerSlam. SummerSlam, out. So wait a second. And SummerFest, whatever that is. Uh, Dr. Ken, I always forget for some reason that when Jeremy Piven was on that uh, episode of Raw, he was there with Dr. Ken, who uh, I remember more as uh, science teacher Ben Chang from Community. Six seasons, six seasons in a movie. We've already done the six seasons. That movie better be coming out soon. Um, I guess not soon, but, you know, they better be making a movie. Speaking of things coming out soon, Orange is the New Black comes out Friday, season three, 14 episodes. I do want to give a shout-out to everyone who's going to be watching it, including my friend Dominique, who 
just finished season two after threatening me uh, to give her spoilers for season two. And I refuse to. I don't like giving spoilers out. If you want to go on Wikipedia and find out what happened, knock yourself out. But I'm not going to tell you anything that happens. You go watch it yourself. Okay? And uh, let's see here. What else can I talk about? Um, turns out my intros don't go too very long, do they? Oh, by the way, I know I talked about this on my NXT audio, which hasn't yet posted to AngryMarks.com because I haven't sent Stevie J the link. However, whose Cheerios did Bull Dempsey piss in? Like, I get it. He's not, you know, he's not aesthetically pleasing is the phrase that I used over on that particular show. But you know something? Samoa Joe is a large man, not exactly very muscular. Kevin Owens is a large man, not very muscular. Both men have struggled with their weight over the years. But you've never seen them, even at their Vince Russo worst in TNA when Samoa Joe was abducted by ninjas. Uh, and God knows what else. And he had the giant sword that he killed Scott Steiner with. He was never made out to be so fat and out of shape that he couldn't run around the ring once. And he wasn't made out to be such a slob that uh, during important meetings with the general manager, he'd just sit there and eat Doritos and candy bars and then wonder why people are giving him looks. I don't know, maybe Bull Dempsey was a Bill DeMott guy, and much like when Paul Heyman left the company, all, Pete, all Paul Heyman guys got buried a little bit. So who knows, maybe he was taken under uh, Bill DeMott's wing, and now that DeMott's gone, he's uh, getting a little bit, uh, 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 he's getting a little bit of booking punishment. But it looks like we've got our first WOP guest host of the night. Caller, who is this? Hey, it's Patrick Michael. Hello, Patrick. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you doing? It's uh, wonderful. Great to uh, be on the show tonight. Well, thank you for coming on. It's a short notice. I... Oh, not a problem. Yeah, so when uh, your co-host bails at the last minute, uh, it's either I talk to myself for 40 minutes, which has happened before, or I go on a search for someone new. And... Well, you know... You know, the invitation to me to watch uh, Ric Flair and, uh, and Ricky Steamboat in the uh, last of the trilogy matches, it's not a bad way to spend the evening and talking about exactly. it. Exactly. There are worse things I could have done than ask you to do that. And speaking of that, I believe we have our other guest host just calling in right now. Getting him out there. Damien, is that you? Yes, it is. How you doing, Emerson? I'm doing great, thank you. And yourself? I'm pretty good. I just finished watching the entire show, actually. Awesome. Like we were just talking about, there's never a bad reason to watch uh, Steamboat and Flair, right? It's one of my favorite matches of all time, so I have no problem watching it. Uh, I actually realized that I've never watched the entire show, so I was absolutely happy to do it. Now, I um, – and we'll get through the whole thing, but I have the pay-per-view version, which includes, um, among other things, a music video set to the song The, uh, the Final Countdown, and then like a 20-minute performance – by the uh, forgotten country music group, the Oak Ridge Boys. I'm pretty sure that got edited out of the network, didn't it? Uh, yes, yeah. it was. Um, they sang the national anthem at the uh, at the start of the show, and Jr. actually plugged a live concert later on, and I was uh, uh, it was conspicuous by his absence. I, uh, I trust I the network for not doing it. <laughs> 
And I, I left Judd it on because I thought, okay, it's going to be like a WWE concert that last five, maybe ten minutes and just be done. It literally went almost half an hour. Wow. Yeah, yeah country's oh not my thing. <laughs> so that would have been painful for me. Oh, boy. And, you know, that was after we had that horrible uh, Dick Murdoch-Cowboy Bob Orton match, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. But uh, first, I guess, overall thoughts on the shows uh, before we dive into them. Yeah, I thought it was um, it was an all right show. Uh, about 99% of it was pretty forgettable, except for the uh, Steamboat match. Other than that, it was kind of what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, uh, this was my first time watching the show from start to finish. Uh, I actually grew up uh, primarily watching WWF, and um, I ended up watching WCW and ECW during the Attitude Day. So uh, I started watching WCW around 1993. So um, well, the first time I actually watched Flair Steamboat was, was uh, years after it happened. So this is actually the first time I've watched the pay-per-view from start to finish, and I was very surprised that that match was actually in the middle of the card. Uh, but uh, aside from that, yeah, I would I would agree that most of the card is forgettable. There are some enjoyable moments, but it's a one-match show. Oh yeah, I don't. I guess they just didn't want to end the show with you know Terry Funk lading out Ric Flair. Um, I guess I understand why, but it still seems kind of odd that Eddie Gilbert main event at the pay-per-view, Dan Spivey main event at the pay-per-view, and Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat were in the middle of the card. Especially if they were had planned on the Terry Funk, Ric Flair feud to be carried out through the rest of the year, why you would yeah. throw the major angle like that right in the middle of the show doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, doesn't. Were, 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 I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. I just had a quick, quick question for you guys. Uh, were either yeah. of you watching uh, this product live at that time in your life? I was not. I was. Uh, I'm 36, and I was pretty much a WWF guy growing up here. In, uh, I'm in Rochester, New York, up until the NWO angles. It's probably the first time I actually turned into uh, WCW. Mm. I uh no I'm 30. I didn't start uh being a fan of wrestling till 1991. And like I remember my family watching WWF and we didn't have TBS at the time. So while I knew there was WCW or NWA, we never saw it until they started showing worldwide on its syndication. So until Nitro, our my only WCW wrestling was that crappy worldwide show. You know that's actually pretty funny. It's the same same for me. I grew up in the Bronx, and and that was exactly how I watched it on CBS at twelve thirty on a Saturday night. <laughs> oh wow! Um, so I guess jumping into the show, the first thing they did now the uh, during the pre-show, one of the most pushed matches was in fact the Eddie Gilbert Kevin Sullivan match because they're going to do hair versus hair. So the first thing they did when they started the show was JR announced that they're not going to do hair versus hair. So while I can't imagine anyone actually bought the show to watch that, if one person did, they just got ripped out of their money on a promise stipulation. It was too heated is what they said at the end. So, you know, (laughs) you don't want want your program, you sure to get too heated because there might be action and wrestling involved. 
I know you wouldn't want that to happen. I mean, come on. Um, yep. The other thing I noted was they called the dynamic dudes the new generation. And I don't know how far in advance they taped those uh, pre-shows, or at least they did tape those pre-shows. But, yeah, they were talking about how they were the new generation the entire time. Then as soon as the show starts, they're the dynamic dudes. And poor hmm. Johnny and Shane. <laughs> those mullets, though, those mullets. <laughs> They were outstanding. There was a lot of them on this show. Not in the ring, in the crowd as well. You know, I've heard so much about how the Dynamic Dudes got uh, booed all the time. This is actually the first time I I got to see a full match of theirs uh, on a pay-per-view of uh, WCW or NWA. And uh, and they actually got a pretty positive reaction coming out and actually uh, winning the match. So I I was pretty surprised by that. I was actually surprised they won. I figured, like I think most people did, that the Samoans were going to win and was actually legitimately surprised when they didn't. And the crowd popped, too, real real big. And when they actually won, I don't think anybody bought it. And in the announcement with Jim Ross and Cottle, they really played up how strong the Samoan SWAT team was. So when they actually won, it actually felt like a genuine upset. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the show actually started with um, another late replacement when Great Muda took on Doug Gilbert. Now, Doug Gilbert was actually replacing Junkyard Dog, which, let's face facts, no matter how bad Mood and Doug Gilbert could possibly be, on their worst day, they did 3,000 times better than Great Mood and Junkyard Dog would have been. I was disappointed. I was so excited to watch Muda and Junkyard Dog. Yeah, the match was only 3 minutes and 16 seconds, but it's very easy to see why he got over as, as, as much as he did in those days. The athleticism and, is just amazing. And it's amazing that, like, Gary Hart got in his ear really quickly and said that Americans won't cheer for a Japanese babyface. They won't get behind a Japanese babyface. And so Gary Hart basically saved his job for a year uh, being the manager of Muda. Um, and I think after Muda left a year later, Gary Hart was gone right after him. So it only saved his job for so long. Yeah, I actually just finished reading the Gary Hart book uh, a couple weeks back, um, and he goes into full detail about his dealings with Muda and Kabuki and everybody. It's a, it's a fascinating book. It's pretty hard to find. I got a I got an ebook uh, copy somewhere online, uh, but I I highly recommend it. Now, it wasn't too much. It wasn't too much for the actual match itself. I, there was some real cool moves, but the uh, the one thing I really enjoyed with the match, and it's it's just the details that. NWA at that point was pointing into their thought was I enjoyed at the end of the match when Doug Gilbert was pinned that when Capetta went to announce the winner of the match he actually stopped when Eddie Gilbert got in the ring to confront Muda and it's something that's just today is kind of lost which I found very interesting now Doug Gilbert is mostly remembered for either being Eddie Gilbert's younger brother or for a famous moment on Memphis television, which basically was the end of his career, where he uh, was in the middle of a heated feud with Brian Christopher, and they were doing a lot of shoot interviews back and forth. And Doug Gilbert made some very mistimed comments about Brian Christopher. And I have that audio here, and I'm going to play it for us right now. And listen, you do not talk about my family. You do not talk about me. Listen, you want to you play that family card? 
He wants to play the family card. You think he wants to play that card with me? Oh, me, Brian, that card could hurt you so bad. Listen, son, I'm out on the street, and people say, Doug Gilbert, why was Brian Christopher dragging them four or five belts around that little red wagon? Oh, he was so successful here in Memphis. Doug, he was so successful. And Brian, it kind of hurts me. You know, Dave, there's things we're not supposed to talk about out here, right? That's true. But, you know, like I'm, they told me a few things in the back that I couldn't talk about, but I don't really remember what they was. One of them might have been Brian Chris was a champion around here for so long because his daddy, wait, 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 wait. Because his daddy Jerry Lawler, owned the company. I'm sorry, Dave. I know I wasn't supposed to say But now listen, let me ask you one thing. For one guy at WMC, you can kind of... You can take the things that happen, happens on this show, Dave, and you can change them a little bit. You can keep things from happening on this show, right or wrong? Well, I couldn't just keep what happened on the show. It is live, and, and sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. Oh, okay now, Dave, but you cannot tell me when Brian Christopher comes out here and he's going to act like me, which that's fine. He can act like me all he wants. I don't care. But when he comes out here and you're going to be disrespectful to my mom or my dad. You know what? That little that little thing in your ear there, Dave, that some people were talking to you from upstairs, I think maybe you should have said it's time to go to break. See, I'm not holding any one person responsible, but what I'm saying, see, Randy Hills is upstairs with his hand on that little button that could cut me off. See, Randy, if I start saying something again that I shouldn't about you running that road smoking crack. Uh, oh, yeah, that's not true. Oh, 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 That's not oh, true. Oh, yeah, Dave. It is true, and Randy Hills has confessed. Well, well, now let me tell you what we can do. Okay, you, okay. you have a point. You have a point. Okay, well, there are certain it. things we can control. There are certain times we can cut the microphones and go to commercial. And okay. I think now is okay, one of those hold times. It, hold it, Dave. Let me say one more thing. You give everybody else their chance, right? Watch, watch what you say. I watch what I say now. Now, listen. The first thing... Now, now right, hold on one second. Listen. The first thing... Somebody showed me a tape right just to come out here and went, uh, I, I'm Doug Gilbert and Jerry Lawler. I'm going to stick my fist in your mouth. Well, come on, Dave. I ain't that corny. I just said, you know I'm Doug Gilbert and Jerry Lawler. You raped a little 13-year-old girl. come on. <laughs> this is all. We're not going to let him get away with that anymore. We're going to let those other guys get away with it. Go to a break right now. Wow. And Doug was fired by the end of the commercial break. Wow. <laughs> I was not I expecting Port that last punchline there. No, and uh, I know it was kind of long, and I guess I should have warned you guys, but, yeah, it was just it's the most famous Doug Gilbert promo ever, and not for good reasons. I think Doug Gilbert's really, his entire career, it's really about the only thing I can think of being a big fan of uh, Memphis wrestling. Yeah. And I've been watching Memphis 88, and he hasn't uh, really been on that much at all. And you'd think, well, that'd be his, when he'd be on there. But no, not really. Um, Speaking of people I wish weren't on my television sometimes, Butch Reed was up next against Stranger Ross. And... We've reviewed all three Flair Steamboat matches, uh, the Flair Steamboat shows, uh, the last three weeks. 
And this is the third time in three weeks we've seen Butch Reed wrestle, and it's never very good. Um, I know when him and Ron got together as Doom, it was slightly better, but the NWA had a lot more faith in Butch Reed than I do looking back now 25 years later. This is a boring, boring, boring match. But the uh, the highway to me, and I don't know if you guys noticed this or not. He had him in a in like a head in a headlock of some sort or a chinlock in Ranger Ross, which he kept taking his ankle and putting it on the rope, the lower rope, and Ranger Ross starts sawing it as he's going into convulsions, like <laughs> that he cannot take all the weight from the leverage of putting his ankle six inches up higher on the ropes. I don't know if you guys caught that, but it was about the only thing of interest to me in this match. I think I was just zoning out, and it was only the second match on the show. Yeah, what I found pretty funny was the uh, wacky martial arts he pulled out of nowhere and uh, leaping from the from the ring all the way to the floor just to pretty much do nothing. <laughs> um, he did sell the hell out of that uh, top rope shoulder block, though. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. I was actually kind of surprised that uh, Butch Reed won. Not not as surprised as when the dudes won, just that uh, Ranger Ross had just debuted, and they they went back and forth on making Ranger Ross into a big deal. And I just figured, well, he just got started, so he'd win. But alas, he didn't. Yeah, I found that pretty funny considering, you know, he had uh... – a pretty elaborate entrance. He ended up getting worked over most of the match. I figured he was going to have a comeback and then win the match, but he pretty much got cut off and, and, and pinned. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob Cottle, the quote perhaps of the night, uh, Reed can take a per- tremendous amount of punishment and keep going. And all, And my reply to that was, Reed must be forced to sit and watch his own matches afterwards. <laughs> uh Anything else on this match? Uh, it was the longest six minutes of my life. I'd, I'd like him back. But Dick wow. Murdoch and uh, Bob Orton, uh, they really uh, they went out there and had a, even had a worse of a stinker somehow. Yes. It, it, it went more downhill from there. Dick Murdoch, Cowboy Bob, and a bull rope match. I wrote this match sucked 113 times. <laughs> That's it? going to be a lot more than that. All I know well, is it's a dead crowd. Everybody was sitting on their hands. They couldn't wait for this match to be over. And what, I noticed, was, what I noticed gone. about the crowd was how bad their attire was. I, I know it was 89, but it was just cringeworthy. Um, now, part of the uh, kind of bad crowd, I mean, the crowd was good in spots, but the night before, the WWF, an attempt to sabotage uh, this show, did one of their famous five-hour house shows complete with 30-minute matches between jobbers, literally with no purpose other than to kill people's interest in wanting to watch wrestling the next day. And so that helped that the people coming in the next afternoon really didn't want to sit and watch bad wrestling. There, There's a time for bad wrestling, but you know, not after you watch a crappy house show the night before. And those old marathon tapings back then were brutal. I remember as a oh, kid, yeah. just just the length of them being forever. I actually kind of wish I could have gone to one, you know, looking back now. 
I went to an ROH taping a few years ago in Providence, which was pretty lengthy, but I wouldn't describe it in the same way as people used to describe those WWF tapings. Um, by the way, for historical purposes, Murdoch won with an elbow drop. He tied Orton up and dropped an elbow, and that was it. Um, we do got to the yes, the after angle. Yes. After the match, Orton beat down Murdoch because, yes, this feud must continue. So we had to hang him for several minutes. And they sold and sold, and nobody cared. And I desperately just wanted to fast forward. Yeah, even Nick Patrick sucked in this match. It's just an awful, awful match. Well, you know, uh, Teddy Long, we didn't note this, but Teddy Long, uh, who had just been fired as referee, was uh, watching the Butch Reed match. And Teddy Long was just an awful referee. Like, I know it's now nice. I know it's not popular to uh, to hate on Nick Patrick for being awful, but Teddy Long, I think, was one of the worst ever. Clea. Um, Samoan SWAT team, which are basically the head shrinkers uh, versus the dynamic dudes. Samoan SWAT team had Paul Heyman. Dynamic dudes had skateboards, and they also had people power. Uh, I found it pretty amusing that Paul Heyman pretty much introduced himself almost exactly the way he does now, uh, except he called himself Paulie Dangerously. He went into the whole, ladies and gentlemen, my name is, and and I found that pretty amusing that he's still using that. Um, The match, you know, this I enjoyed. This match was actually pretty good. Um, The crowd did not care that Paulie at one point took the mic and informed this dead crowd that they were as useless. I'm sorry, that Johnny Ace, who was in a Boston crowd at this point, was as useless as a woman in Nashville. The fans were so outraged by this that they just didn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a pretty funny moment, though. I did laugh at that. Um, finish match, as we discussed. Best this. Show this what was that? Oh, yeah. This was the best yeah, match he's... up to the show on this point, but it's, it, was, it was a formulaic tag, tag match. But enjoyable for this period of time when we really don't see this kind of match anymore. So uh brought back a lot of great memories. I mean, I really do miss the days of a pay-per-view with just like a random tag team match. Like, there was no real storyline reason why the Simone SWAT team, the Dynamic Dudes, were having a match except just to go out there and have a fun nine, eight, nine-minute wrestling match. Yeah, that's what and, I say. You know, you gotta, Shane Douglas, he showed a lot of charisma, and it's it was very interesting seeing him in his younger days moving around the way he was versus, you know, the, the point when I actually started seeing him in ECW and that his body kind of started to break down and the injuries were really starting to pile up. Just seeing the potential that he had back then mm-hmm. made, the, uh, made it worth it watching this match. Yeah, and the first time I saw Shane Douglas, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, the f- first time I saw Shane Douglas was when he was teaming with Ricky Steamboat, and that was after the Dynamic Dudes, and I, I, I could tell at that point that he had a lot of potential. But uh, this match was pretty fun, especially just just the visual of Johnny Ace uh, in his tights, and, and they just look so ridiculous. I just love it. 
Um, and Shane Douglas, it's too bad he ended up being his own worst enemy because he was really good. But, you know, he just couldn't avoid getting heat with everybody. And yeah. um, the finish uh, saw Ace hit a missile drop kick, uh, and the fans lost their shit since everyone, inclu- uh, including myself and uh, three of us, figuring that, you know, the Samoans are going to win. But alas, they didn't. This was then followed by the 25-minute intermission, an intermission so long that I'm going to instead play um, another uh, famous Raw guest host blunder for 25 seconds. Car on in here. My Raw race car on in here. I thought about it. And I'm going to put you, Chris Jericho, against Kofi Johnson, Kingston. Kofi Kingston. Or Kofi Johnson. <laughs> Who was that again? That was, was that the NASCAR drivers? Yeah, it was Joey Logano and Kyle Busch. I don't, I couldn't tell you which one said it, because you know I don't care too much about NASCAR. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't name anybody in NASCAR really. I'll tell you what, the only the only mess up I couldn't find on YouTube, and I of course found the Jeremy Piven Summerfest one. And the only one I couldn't find was when Dennis Miller uh, called Triple H the show instead of the game. And for some reason, that's just nowhere to be found. God, that was such a brutal raw. I remember his jokes were just coming out to crickets. It was just pretty uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because I found him his opening monologue on YouTube. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I remember sitting through that once. I don't want to sit through it a second time to listen to it again, and then a third time playing it on the show. I'm like, yep, that's enough. I'm good. Wasn't that also uh, the Slammy Awards? What, shouldn't that be on the network? Um, it should be, maybe. So if uh, it probably is, actually, because I know they have the last couple years Slammys. But uh, I'd have to go look that up because I know they were taking stuff down too a lot. Um, and unfortunately, so after- we don't have footage of Vince walking. Did you, have you guys ever heard the story of or uh, talking about his experience at Raw? Dennis Miller's. Uh, when, uh, yeah, that yeah, Vince was giving him jokes. Yeah, I was pitching him jokes and telling him how to do comedy for uh, several hours that day. <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> Just wanting, just wanting to like, just finish it and believe. Like, you know, I'm like, you know, I've been one of the top comedians, you know, in the United States for so many years. There's Vince telling me how to be funny, how to deliver my lines. That was probably been the most entertaining part of that whole Raw show. And well, somebody oh, yeah. was right and somebody was wrong, and it, it wasn't entertaining either way. So <laughs> now, speaking of things that are horrible and wrong, do any of you watch NXT tonight? Not yet. Oh, no, not tonight, because I was watching Wrestle War 89. <laughs> that, that's probably a good reason why I made you two watch 25-year-old wrestling. But uh, when you get a chance, watch Bull Dempsey. And maybe I'm just, you know, overthinking it, but I think tonight was just an out-and-out burial of the poor guy. Uh, he's... Obviously, you know, anyone who's watched NXT, he's a larger, 
person. He doesn't have a whole lot of muscle definition. And they ran an angle where he was so out of shape that he couldn't run around the ring and chase after Tyler Breeze and had to stop. And actually this led to his him losing. And then later on in the show, if that wasn't bad enough, later on in the show, he's in Mr. Regal's office eating Doritos and candy bars. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's terrible, oh, man. That's pretty bad. He, he pissed in someone's Cheerios is what I'm thinking. If that's happening in NXT, let alone the main roster, if that's happening in NXT, then you know he's gotten on somebody's bad side. Yeah. I'm thinking there's a chance he may have been a quote-unquote Bill DeMott guy, and when Bill left, you know, he got Bill DeMott's heat. Uh, the future may not be good for Mr. Uh, Mr. Dempsey. Oh, yeah, and, I, and, you know, I could just be making stuff up, but, I mean, for the longest time, he was getting a pretty good push there. And now, all of a sudden, instead of just not being on TV at all, he's being brought to TV just to be embarrassed. Yeah, I think he actually has not won a match since uh, before the, the Corbin uh, program. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of WWE creative team members, Michael Hayes challenged for the U.S. title at Lex Luger. And the whole point of this match being that Michael Hayes swore that he was going to win the match on his own without help. But, you know, he's a heel, so you know what was going to happen. Um, You may not have correctly predicted the right Freebird interfering, but you knew something was going to happen. Uh, Terry Gordy ran in at the finish, interfered, and Hayes won despite being unconscious. I actually really thought the finish was uh, was poorly executed. Uh, it looked like Gordy just pushed Hayes onto Luger, who was just laying down, and he couldn't get up. He could not kick out, and it wasn't like he got splashed. It wasn't like he got an elbow drop. Hayes just laid on him. That was it. And Luger basically tried to put his foot on the rope, and Gordy swatted it away, and then he put his foot on, foot on the rope again. It got swatted away again, and Luger tried again. And all I'm thinking is, after the first time, why aren't you kicking out? Yeah. You just seem like an idiot. Well, Hayes is so heavy that, you know, he's pinning his shoulders down just by laying there. (laughs) You know, it's it's always very funny for me uh, when I watch old Michael Hayes matches, either in World Class or uh, one of these pay-per-views, where he's coming out, Acting, trying to act sexy because I just picture the the current you know fanny pack wearing Michael Hayes, <laughs> and it just blows my mind that women found this man attractive thirty years ago. I can't imagine that women ever found him that attractive. I mean, I'm sure his wife I, finds him attractive, but you know that's about it. I'm I'm telling you, man. If you go back and watch some of the world class footage. It's just amazing the kind of screams that he gets when he's taking his robe off. It, it, it just boggles my mind, especially with all the chest hair. I mean, maybe that was in back then, but it's just such a a weird visual that I can't get out of my head, and it, it disturbs me every time I watch an old Michael Hayes match. And you had ah. no gate guard, you know, guardrails around the ring there in WCCW, so everybody used to just come up to the ringside. <laughs> it looked like, I mean, I don't know how they kept people out of the ring because it looked sometimes, I mean, like when you had like Gino Hernandez, people looked like they're ready to murder him. I would not want him in security working anywhere near his oratorium back then. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, they were, they, they, there were so many women at, at those shows. That's what I always uh, found to be fascinating whenever I looked at old footage is just how many women were were screaming and trying to grab the Von Erics and, and being very, very vocal throughout the entire show. I always wonder what, you know, all their husbands and boyfriends always thought when seeing their significant others screaming and jumping all over these other men. It, I I don't know. It just seem, seems weird to look back at, I guess, because you never see anything like that happen today. Like, my friend Nina squeals when she sees Randy Orton on TV, but she's never almost hopped the guardrail to paw at him. Yeah, it, it, it blows me away. Every time I see old footage, when, uh, when especially when the Von Erics are getting kissed by all these girls, because I can't, I have to imagine that at least most of them are underage. Uh, you know, it looks like they're at least fourteen, fifteen. Imagine today if a wrestler kissed a bunch of 14-year-old girls on the way to the ring? <laughs> I think it was Kevin who, uh, in an interview, said how he used to walk to the ring with his lips pursed together so uh, these girls wouldn't be kissing him on the lips. Yeah. I, I actually just watched the um, the world-class documentary uh, a couple days ago, and, and it's, it's just funny how these girls just attacked them. Mm-hmm. I do want to give a recommendation to anybody listening who loves chin locks and head locks. This Michael Hayes and Lex Luger match is definitely up your alley, so you, you really need to check it out. In two outstanding batches by Lex Luger, makes this match worth checking out. Oh, uh, speaking of botches, I did take actually uh, a lot of notes while I was watching this, and uh, the botches were incredible. Somehow they completely botched uh, a DDT escape attempt. Um, That's it, exactly it, what I'm thinking of. <laughs> the way it was sold by the announcers was that it was an escape, but it, Michael Hayes basically went for a DDT, and all of a sudden Lex Luger takes a back bump, and it looked like he he basically just caused himself damage, and then he pops right <laughs> back up, and the announcer said, "Oh, he he countered the DDT." I'm thinking by <laughs> he looked like it looked like he just went the other way, and it looked awful. And then the, and this uh, was not a standard back bump. This was a throw yourself as hard as humanly possible to knock the crap out of you and give yourself a concussion type. It was just, it was, it was great. And it was, uh, it was worth it. I mean, really <laughs> all that. They, right they, uh, they mistimed a side Russian leg sweep and Luger actually went down first before he started the motion. So it just looked awful. And the funny thing is, this wasn't even the worst match on the show. Like, Which one would you say was the worst match on the show? Honestly, I would go with uh, Orton and Murdoch. Just that, at least this match, like, it was almost perversely entertaining. Orton and Murdoch, I couldn't find any anything entertaining or anything redeeming at all about it. They needed blood. It's, I was sitting there going, hey, it's four minutes. Let's get some blood going here because that's about the only reason that would have uh, kept my interest. Yeah, I actually did. I expected uh, some blood uh, just based on the, the way the match was structured. I expected somebody to bleed at some point, and it just never happened. What, was this around the time that they had the no blood policy? It's possible. I think actually, yeah, because uh, that's how Dusty got fired as a booker. He was told, 
uh, no more blood on television. And so being pissed at being told what to do, he had the road warriors run out and jab him in the head with the shoulder spikes. And, okay. Yeah. And yeah, there were a couple of times of, where he, he uh, where Mur- Murdoch caught a, caught the cowbell right to the head and caught the guardrail right to the head and he's holding his head and I'm expecting uh, to see blood right after I'm expecting him to gig and nothing. And I was kind of surprised by that. Just waiting for the crimson mask and it never came. We want blood. <laughs> well, uh, Sting versus Iron Cheek for the TV title. It went exactly as long as it needed to go. There's <laughs> uh, honestly, there's probably no reason why Iron Cheek was even in this match because um, at this point he's pretty much retired. He's coming out for a couple matches here and there, and Sting just beat him and beat him quickly. I actually found it pretty funny. Uh, yeah, Sheik actually, uh, if you go back uh, and, and you watch the uh, Scorpion Deathlock, Sheik actually taps out. Yeah. Well, I don't know so much if he was tapping out, because a lot of people at the time would slap the mat as kind of like whether to get themselves into the spot or to get the fans into the spot to get behind them or whatever. Because um, if you go back and watch, it happened actually a lot where people would hit the mat during a submission hold. And you can now look back and go, oh, he's tapping out. But tapping out really wasn't a thing until, you know, 96, 97. Oh, no, that, that, that's why I bring it up. I t- thought it was pretty funny. I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't intentional as in to give up the match. Because usually heels aren't the one who, who, who slapped the mat to, to get the crowd going. But uh, it, it was just kind of funny the way it, it, the motion was. He's saying yes as he's tapping the mat. And it just, almost just seemed like he was tapping out. It was kind of funny. Uh, Richie Steamboat remains like the most often seen wrestler of all time on these old tapes uh, as he's constantly there when his dad would wrestle. And it happened up next, Ricky Steamboat defending the world title against the nature boy, Ric Flair. This match was so-so. What do you guys think? <laughs> it was all right. But I wouldn't, I, I've always thought, thought Meltzer rated it way too high. That's two, two and a quarter stars, maybe. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Well, I actually love this match, man. This is one of my favorite matches ever. (laughs) Oh, yeah. All three of the matches that they had in 89 were excellent, and even their forgotten 1994 match uh, was excellent as well. Um, And the thing was with this three-part series, they all built on top of each other. So Chi-Town Rumble... While it was five stars, it was still the weakest of the three matches. And then everything that happened in Chi-Town Rumble, it was built upon in Clash 6. And that was another five-star match, and it was even better than the first match. And then at WrestleWar was like, is the ultimate five-star match between these two. It was like, everything came together on this one night. Every spot they built upon got, you know, paid off even more. And... the place just exploded and it's too bad, you know, business didn't pick up, you know, to go along with uh, these great matches. Um, But yeah, what can you do? Yeah. I felt this is one of the greatest matches of all time. I definitely think it deserves the five stars that Meltzer gave it. And um, I've always uh, been a fan of Ric Flair. I've always been a fan of Ricky Steamboat. Uh, But the first time 
I actually saw this match. Um, I don't know if you remember this. This was around uh, 1999 or 2000 when WWF started releasing their first uh, home videos in-house, and they started having uh, profile DVDs for each wrestler. And Triple H had the, had his DVD, and this was after the – actually, this was after uh, – after the sale, so it was 2002. So they had the DVD for the Triple H, and he asked to include a classic uh, match, his favorite match, which was this one. And this was the first time I had ever seen it when I bought that DVD, and I was blown away by it. And I knew it, I knew it was the third uh, third match in the trilogy, uh, but um, the match actually stops right after the pinfall. Uh, at least the footage on the DVD is what I mean. So there's no Terry Funk beatdown after the DVD inclusion of the match. So when I saw that angle, I was blown away. I was I oh, yeah. absolutely loved it. This just was the amazing. Of this match. Uh, go on. No, I was going to say, it's just the dynamic of this match. It's great from the opening, Ric Flair coming out with the women, Steamboat coming out with the family, and just every, I just had how they built everything, just the chops. Tommy Young was Perfect in his role as a referee in this in this bout, stopping Steamboat from jumping off the top onto Flair on the floor. Everything just built logically, and they sold everything um, to the point where it was believable. And the ending came out of nowhere, but two seconds after, you could digest it and go, okay, you could see why the ending was the way it was. Yeah, I, I thought this match was amazing. Uh, the um, the best part about it, I thought, was all of the uh, the arm work, and especially leading to uh, the, the chicken wing submissions and all the attempts after that had been built upon in the second match. I, I thought the drama behind that was great, and I I really love uh, the finish to the match. It almost was a was an homage to uh, Savage and Steamboat's finish. So I, I I've always been a fan of of this match. This has always been in my top three. Now, the only, if I had to nitpick, and the only thing I have to nitpick at were the judges. Now, I liked the idea, liked-ish the idea, that in case they went to a 60-minute draw, you had the three judges there to determine the winner, Terry Funk, Pat O'Connor, and Lou Thez. The only thing that was kind of confusing was that they kept going throughout the match, and they'd ask, you know, for what the judges' opinions were, throughout the match, but it's like they were adding it up. Like the first time they asked, all three people thought Steamboat was uh, the winner. And the second time, two out of three people picked Flair. But so they spent the rest of the match talking about how Steamboat had a four to two advantage. So if the match ended now and in a draw, Steamboat would win because it was four to two. And that just seemed ridiculous to me. I just want to know what Luke does writing on that paper because every single time they cut up to him, you'd have O'Connor and, and Funk talking, and here would be Luke does seriously writing down on this piece of paper. So really, I, it's what I want to know. Is, was he actually taking copious notes or was he drawing pictures of smiley faces? What what was this What was this guy doing? Hogan sucks. <laughs> over and over. And, and actually, he was writing Butch Reed versus Ranger Ross sucked. Over and yeah. over and over. And can you actually recall a match where the judges m- made the decision? Uh, yeah, Clash 4. Or not Clash 4, Clash 1 with 
uh, the Sting Flare 45-minute draw. That, that and, was the only one I could think of. Yeah. Um, it, there was also a um, Clash. I think it was Clash 21. It was Sting and Rick Rude in the, in the semifinals of the King of Cable tournament, and it went to a 20-minute draw, and they had the judges determine the winner, and Sting won 2-1 to one because Larry Zabisco turned face as a judge. And instead of voting for Rude, he voted for Sting. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. I actually would like to go back and watch that. And it also proves that I know way too much. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the finish of this match actually, uh, while kind of an homage to Savage Steamboat, was also uh, crossing up the finish of the first match where Flair went for the body slam and Steamboat rolled him up and pinned him where this time Steamboat went for the uh, body slam, but because Flair had worked on his knee the whole match, including the spot where Steamboat tumbled off the top rope and crashed onto the cold, hard concrete floor, his knee kind of gave way. Flair rolled him up and won the world title. Um, And then came a hardcore angle for 1989 and something that if it happened today, and the table didn't break, the fans wouldn't be booing, they wouldn't be ooing, they wouldn't be aahing, they would just chant something about break the table or you fucked up or whatever because the table never broke. Um, Terry Funk came into the ring, congratulated Flair, jokingly challenged him to a match, and so Flair turned him down, saying they hadn't wrestled in years, he had been too busy acting, um, etc. There was a top ten, so Funk laughed it off and then punched Flair in the face, beating him unmercilessly and pile-driving him on top of a ringside table. Yeah, I I actually think that if that were to happen today, because the pile-driver's been banned for so long and it's pretty much common knowledge, if if someone did a pile-driver onto the table and and it didn't break, I think that would actually get a holy chit chant today. Honestly, I think it's better that it didn't break because can you imagine, you know, Flair with his neck injury and all that crap going through a table and spiking off the floor? Yeah, that was pretty hardcore for for that time period. Yeah, just overall, just a great angle and not a lot of angles on the the rest of the show. And this what made it stand out and gave us 1989's feud of the year with Flair and Terry Funk resulting in one of my favorite matches of all time, the I Quit match. And I also know one of Luke Harper's favorite matches of all time. Yeah, I, I second that. That's one of my favorites as well. Um, I, I love everything about that match, especially the finish. Yeah, Flair was on fire in 1989, and it's too bad, you know, him and Jim Hurd just butted heads the whole time um, because, you know, they Flair just had one great match after another. In fact, I don't think there were, um, well, there were. There were very few bad WCW big shows in 1989. I have actually yet to watch a lot of the old WCW pay-per-views. Those are actually the only things on the network I think I have not seen. Um, mm-hmm. I hear the Great American Bash 89 is amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that... M- may have won Best Pay-Per-View in the Observer Awards. And when you think about all these 
shows that had Flair and Steamboat as the in the main event, and that show won Best Pay Per View. Imagine how great that probably was. Yeah, and and um, as I said before, when I first started watching WCW, it was around '93-ish. So the forgotten uh, Flair Steamboat match was at Spring Stampede '94, where he goes for the chicken wing, and they both pin each other. I remember that yep. vividly, and um, and I remember during the commentary they were talking about their classic matches. So uh, these matches had a reputation uh, that, that it lived up to. Um, I, I actually did not watch them until about almost almost 20 years after they happened, and I think these matches are timeless. Hi. And sadly, that was not the end of the show. They had 22 minutes of satellite time left, and they used all 22 minutes. First off, we got... Um, Steve Williams and Mike Rotunda slash Mike Rotundo defending the World Tag Team titles against the Road Warriors. And this match, it was fun. You know, it's three huge guys and Mike Rotundo, you know, just all throwing each other around for five, six minutes. Uh, Nikita Koloff was the guest referee. Um, and the first thing he did was throw Sullivan out of the ringside area when Sullivan tried interfering, but it kind of got, you know, ridiculous when he threatened to throw Steve Williams out and make it a handicap match. Did you happen um, to catch that awful, awful promo that Nikita cut before the match? I did. I I, I tried to just ignore it. <laughs> I had I had to write it down because I was I thought it was absolutely hilarious how bad that was. Nikita, I don't think he's ever really a promo guy, was he? Like, I don't remember too many great Nikita Koloff promos in his day. No, definitely not. Uh, it was just uh, it was a combination of the extreme close-up, the look in his eyes, the bad accent, and the bad haircut. It was just a hilarious visual, and I could not take him seriously. And whatever and... was going on with that beard. <laughs> he actually looked like... Uh, the first coming of Enzo Amore. <laughs> uh, yeah, Enzo was watching his old Nikita Kola tapes and was like, bro, that that just looks fantastic. And, <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. And uh, like I said, this was a really hot little five-minute five match. Uh, the Road Warriors are about to win the titles with the Doomsday Device when Kevin Sullivan and Dan Spivey ran back down and pulled Nikita off. Now, they didn't ring the bell right away, so like at first I'm like, okay, so they're going to brawl, and then the Road Warriors are going to pin the uh, Varsity Club anyway. But instead, eventually they rang the bell, and it was a DQ um, for the four-on-three kind of heel beatdown, even though it wasn't really much of a heel beatdown. And the Road Warriors won by DQ. Yeah, there were a couple things I noted in this match that I, I thought were pretty funny. One was just how good the Road Warriors were. I mean, I, I obviously uh, had seen them uh, growing up when they were the Legion of Doom and then for many years after that. But just watching them in their quote-unquote prime, um, uh, they were great. And it was just evident how bad the Ascension are compared to them. Um, <laughs> and and uh, another thing that I noticed was after the match, um, obviously it's a DQ finish, 
but the crowd completely uh, erupts when they raise the Road Warriors' hand. And I could only, all I could think about was if that finish were to happen today, the place would be booing. They'd, they'd be booing because they'd be pissed off at the promotion. It's a, it's a different time. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago at Elimination Chamber, I got angry as fuck when because uh, you could see the whole thing with Ambrose and Rollins coming when they bumped the referee. And I got so irrationally angry when <laughs> they did the three count because you knew what was going to happen. And, yeah. Oh, I, I know exactly what you mean. As soon as I saw that ref bump and uh, and the ref counted three, I was calling it. I was saying, where's the other ref? He's going to wake up. And my girlfriend was there. My girlfriend's actually a wrestling fan as well. She was laughing because uh, with every passing minute, she said that I was getting worried that this actually was going to stand because they actually took their time with the decision. And as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, I knew it. I knew it. And I knew they were, were going to actually do that right now. I have to say, the, uh, my favorite part of this match was probably the first 30 to 45 seconds when the road warriors come running down the aisle at about 75 trillion miles a second and actually start kicking Rotunda and Williams and punching them as hard as humanly possible. I would have loved to have sat in the room with them as they discuss how they're going to lay out this match where they go, okay, listen, we're just going to beat the shit out of you for a good 45 <laughs> seconds. And then we're going to start the match. But first, let's just lay it in as hard as humanly possible. But my only disappointment with this match, other than the length, was that Rotunda didn't come out with a boat and a captain's hat. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Sadly, he was still the captain of the team and not the captain of the ship. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, the, uh, they, later on, in case I forget to mention it, they did announce at the end of the show that the Varsity Club were stripped of the tag team titles because of uh, Kevin Sullivan ignoring the referee's order to disperse and returning to the ring. Um, and then we get to the main event, the last bout of the evening, the match that, in theory, you paid $20 to watch. Rick Steiner and Eddie Gilbert defending the U.S. Tag Team titles against Kevin Sullivan and Big Dan Spivey. <laughs> this I, match I, I sucked. Yeah, this, I cannot believe that this was the last match on the show. This was basically a two-on-one handicap match because the first thing they did was uh, Spivey took Rick Steiner and ran him shoulder first into the ring post. And Spy, er, sorry, and Steiner laid on the ground and sold for the whole match, while Gilbert got his butt kicked. Um, now, the one thing that uh, we were talking about uh, a couple shows ago at Chi Town Rumble, Scott debuted, and you know he said that he'd be here and in his brother's corner from now on, and then all of a sudden Scott's nowhere to be found, and Rick is tag team champion partners with Eddie Gilbert. So. It's, I don't know what happened or when Scott officially came in, but it, could, it was around this time because they won the tag title, the world tag title, shortly after. The only thing this match was the beautiful Missy Hyatt, even though I couldn't figure out why she wore a dress that pretty much went right to her face and right to her ankles and didn't show any of that ample cleavage that she had. Well, she's, I, I think she was supposed to be Miss Elizabeth, and, you know, Miss Elizabeth wouldn't show ample cleavage. 
Yeah, wasn't she Bill's the first lady of WCW? Yeah. And she was hot. And, oh, yeah, you know, Missy, and, you know, thankfully Missy's not listening right now because I'm sorry, Missy, you're not that attractive these days. <laughs> uh, I still remember when she uh, started showing up on ECW and she just was completely made of plastic at that point. It was pretty sad. Those, those lips. Like, yeah. Ew. Oh, boy. So... Um, honestly, I wish they would have given the Road Warriors match about two or three more minutes, because this match, it seemed to go about two, three, maybe even four minutes too long. It was just one long beatdown. Steiner eventually got onto the ring apron, and it was never legally in the match. The finish uh, saw uh, Stein. they do this spot where Gilbert tags Steiner, but the referee doesn't see it, so he ushers Rick out, and when he turns around, uh, Rick runs over, uh, gives uh, Kevin Sullivan a clothesline because he set up Eddie Gilbert for a pile driver, and Gilbert gave him a jackknife cradle, and the champs retained, um, and we got another, yet another post-match beating where the heels uh, laid out the champions. So the heels went over in the main event with a beatdown, and they didn't want to end the show with a Terry Funk beatdown of a flare? <laughs> Apparently not, no. No, I just, it, 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 I, I get, you know, uh, wanting to send the home crowd happy, but they didn't do it. So, if, you know, you, you might as well save that main event for the, you know, the, the flair of funk angle for the main event. I guess the other reason would be, you know, by not having it be the last match, the official last match, it gives you the idea that the match could end at any time. Because, like, at Clash of the Champions uh, 6 with the 2 out of 3 falls match, there were supposed to be two other matches uh, with Sting and Luger uh, wrestling two different people. And, you know, the whole point of it was, well, you know, Flair and Steamboat can't possibly go an hour because we still have two other matches. And then they did. So I guess they did in the sense, you know, where you're sitting at home going, well, last time these two went on, and there were still matches to follow, and they went to the end, so it could happen again. And I kind of like the idea, but it could never work these days. I I was thinking more along the lines of they probably wanted to keep it in the middle of the card because that way uh, you're not immediately switching off after the match is over and you're going to see the flunk angle in its entirety because they did take a few minutes to, uh, to get to that to that climax, but, um, I, you know, I can, just like I was saying before, when I first saw that match, it had the funk uh, beatdown cut out, and I could just imagine uh, at the end of the pay-per-view a bunch of people tuning off and, and not seeing that part. You could also have seen also the world's first ever traffic beater match in which <laughs> they knew the crowd would want to leave, so they put that on at the end so everybody could just get out of there before everybody else tried to leave so there wouldn't be any traffic jams. <laughs> I forget the match. I, I, well, I forget whose opponent was, but at, at Chi-Town Rumble, um, for some reason, some of the cable companies this, uh, still had like 20 or 30 minutes of satellite time reserved for the show. So after the pay-per-view went off the air, 
they came back on the air and they did this horrendous dark match with Kendall Windham, I think versus Steve Casey, that went for over 20 minutes. And the reason being, A, they had all this extra satellite time, but B, the people backstage forgot that they were still in the ring and never told them to take it home. It sounds like WCW in a nutshell right there for their entire history. I, I just like to imagine that those two were still wrestling like two hours later because no one ever bothered to tell them to take it home. <laughs> like Chris Hero wrestling three hours this past weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it was nice he did it for charity, but I could not imagine wrestling for three hours straight. I can't imagine doing anything for three hours straight. <laughs> I have a hard time watching Raw for three hours straight. Oh, I can't. I can't even do that now. Now I have to do that in segments. Yeah. Like, Thank God I'm I not d- the only one who's doing that. Yeah, I DVR it and I watch. I'll turn it on at like nine thirty or nine forty-five, and I'll have fast-forwarded through so much crap that I'll have caught up to the main event an hour later. Well, I actually don't have cable, so all I have is internet. So uh, what I've been what I've been doing for a long time is uh, I was getting raw the next night uh, or the next day, uh, usually watching a piece in the morning and then finishing it up uh, the next, the next afternoon. Uh, But lately uh, uh, I've been watching it on the USA app through my app TV. Um, It's pretty cool because it basically is just the USA feed, except it's uh, without commercials, except during the commercials, they play this song over and over and over again. And after the 19th commercial, you want to break your television. But other than that, you know, it works pretty great. It, it's not wild and young, is it? No, no, no. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's just some instrumental beat that just goes on and on and on. And it's the same one every single time. And it goes on for four or five minutes. Uh, so, you know, uh, to wrap things up with Wrestle War, easy thumbs up. Uh, from you guys, I'm assuming? Uh, I would say thumbs up only because that Flair Steamboat match is included. Uh, I would say the second best match. Um, I'm, I'm not even sure. I, I would probably say the Road Warriors match. Um, That's what I was going to say. And third best being the Samoan SWAT team match. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I still can't get the visual of Michael Hayes out of my mind and that botched DDT, that's going to stay in my mind for a long time um, just because I love botches. <laughs> that was a great one. Um, pretty pretty good show uh, in, in terms of uh, overall uh, showing what WCW was at the time. It's a, it's a good time capsule for me. Yeah. Good definition of a one-match show. Check out the Slayer and Steamboat. You can forget the rest and uh, we'll go on with your day. Well, I do want to thank you two um, for doing the show on short notice and for watching three hours of 25-year-old wrestling just out of nowhere. Sadly, this is something I tend to do quite often. Oh, <laughs> well, don't say sadly. This like Even if I had you watch December to Dismember, you got to come on here and we got to laugh about it and, you know. Thankfully, you got to miss December to just remember we did that last year. But it's fun to just sit and watch random wrestling shows. And that's the best part of the network when it's not buffering. 
<laughs> uh, which method do you use to watch the WWE Network? Um, I watch it on my Roku. Okay. And and uh, have you ever had any issues with it? Um, I've had them in the past. Lately, though, I've been having a lot of problems with my live stream. But according to Comcast, it's uh, – there's also a problem with our internet cable, so I have to I had to order a new internet cable. So tomorrow when I get it, um, I'll either continue to rant about how horrible the live stream is, or it'll solve all my problems. We'll see, I guess. I hope it works out for you. Knock on wood. <laughs> Spent a whopping nine dollars on that cord. It better work. <laughs> <laughs> I usually eBay those cords and get like nine for three bucks. Well, I bought it off Amazon and I it was like five dollars and I uh I was just I didn't feel like waiting for it and uh paid four dollars for one day shipping, so I paid the whole nine dollars. <laughs> now, now um programming note again, I am gonna be back. Brian will be back Sunday with uh money in the bank. As long as our, the network holds up, we'll be back doing it. Um, you guys, of course, are welcome back anytime. You know, next week, you know, we're going to be pre-recorded, but after that, we've got a whole slew of shows. And if you ever want to call in and join in on the fun, please feel free to. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I had a great time tonight. Thanks. I appreciate it as well. Uh, I'm actually not going to be able to watch Money in the Bank live because uh, I'm going to be flying back from Mexico City. I'm going down tomorrow. I'm going to. Uh, See my girlfriend. She's uh, she's working in Mexico on on location, and I'm also going to CMLO on Friday and UFC on Saturday. So I'm pretty excited. Fun. Well, if uh, you two also before we get going want to plug your social media or whatever else you have, uh, feel free to. I have my Facebook, Patch Michael. I really don't use it for a whole lot. If you just some random wrestling observations here and there. Uh, well, uh, my Twitter is the Dames Seven. Uh, that's T H E D A M E S Seven. Um, I'm pretty much uh, just on Twitter these days. Uh, haven't really done any reviewing of anything in a long time, uh, so it's uh, it was great to uh, to get back in the game. And thank you very much for having me on. No problem. And uh, to play us out, we normally have our 16-bit Bray Wyatt theme play us out. But instead, to play us out, we're going to have our my favorite douchebag, Bill O'Reilly. And we'll see you again next week. That's tomorrow. And that is it for us today. Okay, I don't know. Whatever it is, it's not right on the teleprompter. I don't know what that is. I've never seen that. No, there it is. We are going to do Sting, yeah. Okay, but... Okay. The, now, I can't read it. There's no, there's no words on it. Okay. Sure. There's no words there to play us out. What does that mean? To play us out. It's, it's Sting is going to do. It's a video. Sting video. What is for credit? I don't know what that means to play us out. What does that mean? To end the show? Yeah. 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 All right, go, go. And five, four, three. That's tomorrow, and that is that. Again, five. Four, three. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. And we will leave you with a. I can't do it. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay.
No. We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. Right. Fucking thing sucks. In five, four, three. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. I'm Bill O'Reilly. Thanks again for watching. We'll leave you with Sting and a cut off his new album. Take it away. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.